0: All right. Good morning. My name is Dwayne Spearman. Welcome to Directional Bible uh, Ministries. Uh, Today is uh, September the 27th, and this is a teaching ministry that is designed to encourage, disciple, and challenge the people of God. So I appreciate each of you. I appreciate the birthday wishes that uh, you guys sent my way. I turned uh, 54 yesterday, hard to believe, uh, when I go into, uh, you know, when you go in to enter your date of birth online and you do that little scroll of mortality, uh, it takes a little longer (laughs) to get down to uh, 1966 as my date of birth, Um, but anyway, God's been good to me, Uh, I have nothing to complain about. I have a beautiful wife, I have beautiful children, and God's taking care of me every step of the way, so um, he's been good. I appreciate my family, I appreciate my friends, and all of you that uh, sent me well wishes. God bless you guys. Um, today we are continuing to work through uh, the book of Acts, and um, good morning, Scott, good morning, Lori. Hope you guys are doing well today. Uh, let's see. Last time we were together, we got down through um, <clears throat> chapter chapter nineteen, verse number thirty six. So we're going to back up today. Um, in session thirty two last Sunday, we got down through uh, chapter number or verse number thirty five in chapter number nineteen. Uh, today we're going to pick up <clears throat> in verse number thirty six. Of chapter number nineteen, hopefully we're going to get down through chapter twenty, verse number twenty-eight. Um, as we know here, the uh, in chapter number nineteen, Paul is has arrived in Ephesus. He had left Apollos at Corinth, um, and of course he he came upon the disciples that had not uh, known anything about Jesus or been baptized, received the Holy Ghost. And uh, he asked them into what baptism were they baptized. And, of course, they said the baptism of John. And then, of course, they received water baptism. And then Paul uh, laid hands on them uh, under the apostolic authority that he had been given. And they received the Holy Ghost. Um, In other words, Pentecost happened in their lives. These were kingdom believers. These were Jews that were baptized only by the baptism of John. And then we meet the sons of Sceva. Um, of course, miracles are happening um, at the hands of Paul. Seven sons of Skeva, a Jew who was a priest, was trying to cast out a demon. And uh, we talked about that, um, how that uh, demonic possession was uh, very uh, common um, back then. It was dealt with. Uh, Paul doesn't talk about it in... Um, the Pauline epistles, but we saw a lot of it uh, during the during the offering of the kingdom, and that's a different study in and of itself. Um, but anyway, as he began to preach, uh, people began to burn uh, their; they began to repent of their their witchcraft, their sorcery. They began to burn all of their accoutrements that had to do with with magic and incantations, and of course, this caused a riot. Because people were beginning to see uh, that the home of Diana of the Ephesians, the goddess of Ephesus, was going to be threatened by all of these people uh, turning away from idolatry. And, of course, Demetrius um, came to the fore and began to stir the people up. And, of course, he made it a spiritual matter. I love it how the left today, you know, they wanna they start quoting scriptures out of context um, to try to... Uh, work a political narrative in there. I'm always humored when they try to do that. Um, Of course, obviously it works, or they wouldn't be doing it. Um, And then, of course, the city was confused, and you remember the town clerk finally stepped up and said, listen, you know we're way (laughs) out of line here. If the Romans catch wind of what we're doing, this is not going to end well for any of us. And he dismissed the crowd, and they all went back Uh, where they came from. And then we get down into verse number 36. Uh, Verse number 35, And when the town clerk had appeased the people, he said, You men of Ephesus, what man is there that knoweth not how the city of Ephesus is a worshiper of the great goddess Diana and the image which fell down from Jupiter? In other words, he's telling the people, you know, what are these Jews going to do against our great goddess Diana. Uh, seeing that these things cannot be spoken against, since we know this, we, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. Uh, in other words, check yourselves what you're doing. For ye have brought hither these men, which are neither robbers of churches, nor yet blasphemers of your goddess. In other words, he's saying there's just nothing that they can be accused of. Wherefore, if Demetrius and the craftsmen which are with him have a matter against any man, the law is open. And there are deputies. Let them in plead one another. Um, so again, the, the town clerk here is trying to stop the mob by pointing out that they need not overreact to what's happening as a result of Paul's teaching and causing such an uproar in the city as the people begin responding to his message. Um, of course, as we stated earlier, this council proved to be wrong in that Diana is no longer worshipped. <laughs> um and then, of course, we get down um, later on, um, uh, he goes on, he'll go on to uh, it's Gaius and Aristarchus that they had pulled aside, and he said, these guys aren't robbers of churches, nor yet are they blasphemers. Um, let's see right here where it says, uh, these guys are neither robbers of churches, nor yet are they blasphemers of your goddess." Now, a better translation of that word churches there in 1937 is temples. Uh, they are not robbers of temples. Um, I don't know why this flips every time my, my mouth is frozen here. I'll try not to panic it. Um, in verse number 37, uh, which are neither robbers of churches. Uh, you can see that's a, <clears throat> a better translation there. would be uh, temples. Um, Further proof that the word always needs to be in context. Uh, Just because you hear the word church does not mean that it's referring to the church, uh, a part of what we are. Uh, Remember that the church just means a called out assembly. Um, And actually in the Bible there are four churches identified. Um, Um... And we'll run into problems when we try to combine uh, these churches and make them one and the same, which covenant uh, theologians tend to do. Um, Historically, there was the church in the wilderness mentioned in Acts 7.38 by Stephen. You remember he said, um, let me get back over to just KJV here. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness, See, that word church, that just means a called-out assembly. And, of course, they were called out of Egypt, and they were assembled in the desert. Um, Stephen quoted that. Uh, It was the assembly of the children of Israel that were called out of Egypt, assembled in the wilderness. And then there was the church uh, that was in Jerusalem, uh, which was made up of the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and for sure, proselytes, people who had converted over into Judaism, been circumcised, We're keeping temple sacrifice. This is the kingdom church. No one is part of this church today. Um, It stopped after the rejection uh, was complete. So you have the kingdom church. So when Jesus looks at Peter and said, upon this rock I will build my church, he was talking to Peter. He was talking about the kingdom church. He was talking about the little flock, he was talking about the Jews who were being offered a king and a kingdom. So again, you know, Peter is not the founder of the church, the body of Christ. Peter is not a member of the church, the body of Christ. Peter is a member of the kingdom church. And today we are a part of the body of Christ made up of Jew and Gentile. That was the mystery that was revealed to Paul. Uh, This is a separate body. Paul was the first one into this body of believers. Um, Paul said he was in 1 Timothy, uh, that he might be a pattern to those who should come after that in me first. Paul was the first one converted into the body of Christ. So this church was not born in Acts chapter number 2. Acts chapter number 2 was merely the offering, the official offering of the king and the kingdom and it was rejected. And of course God raised up the apostle Paul in Acts chapter number 9, and he was the first one to be converted into this body of Christ. And I don't think that happened in Acts chapter number 9. I think that happened later. I think Paul was uniquely both a kingdom believer and a grace believer. And there's all kinds of arguments about about that, you know, especially when you When you get over into uh, the book of Revelation, you start putting Paul's name on the gates and the foundations and things like that. Uh, Paul um, was unique in that he was a part of that transition. He was saved under the kingdom uh, message, but he was the first to receive the grace message. And there's all kinds of studies you can look at. Well, where does Paul fall? Is he a part of that kingdom church or is he part of that grace church? Because we know with everybody else, whatever program you came into, I believe you stayed in. Um, but um, the body of Christ is the mystery church that was revealed through Paul uh, for those who are justified freely by grace, not of the law. And see, you got to remember that those who were saved under the kingdom church were still very much under the law. They they were repentance was required, baptism was required keeping the works of the law was still required. That when, And when you come to understand that and you hit a book like James, you're not going to be all discombobulated because you're going, to, you're going to understand James was one of the 12 and he was writing to the 12 tribes that were scattered abroad. He was writing to the kingdom church. He was writing to the church that was still very much under the law. So when he talked about how you had to have your works, he meant exactly what he was saying. You know, but we try to spiritualize that and say, well, without faith, works is dead. You know, or without works, faith is dead. And, you know, no, you don't need faith to be saved, but your works proves that you are saved. See, we're trying to make James make sense. And, well, if you would just read James, the which is part of the Hebrew epistles, the book of Hebrews through the book of Revelation, and understand those were written by apostles to the to the nation of Israel, who was still under the law, who still believed that there was a possibility that Israel would accept the kingdom offer, and we, they were going into the tribulation period uh, looking for the second coming of Christ and the establishment of the kingdom. If you would read it that way, it would make sense, and we would stop having to do cartwheels over the scriptures to try to make them say something that they're simply not saying. And I've done it. You know, I I remember I taught a men's retreat, uh, 1 Peter, you know, uh, amazing amount of calisthenics. Um, Peter was talking to uh, the house of Israel. Peter was not talking to the body of Christ. Peter was still under, um, you know, uh, under the kingdom gospel, uh, the kingdom message. He even said, Paul wrote things that you know I just find very hard to understand. Uh, Peter didn't fully grasp the things that Paul had grasped, because Peter was not the apostle to the Gentiles. And we talked about how the Roman church tries to set Peter up as the head of the church. Well, no, no, he's not. <laughs> the keys that he received, the authority that he received, was in the kingdom church, uh, not The body of Christ, of which you and I are a part. And, of course, we see this in Colossians 1.18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in all might have preeminence. Jesus is is the head of the body. Okay, he's the head of the body, which is the body of Christ. In Romans 11, 25, For I will not, brethren, that you be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And when will that happen? When the church is removed, which is what we call the rapture. The church has to be removed before God can start back up Daniel's 70th week, before God can start dealing with the nation of Israel again. And again, people who try to dismiss the rapture is because they do not rightly divide the word of truth. Uh, In Romans uh, 16, 25, Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel, not our gospel, my gospel, and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. That mystery was a secret. You don't see it in the Old Testament it's not there um, you know so when we read the old testament we need to understand that that was god dealing with his chosen people the nation of israel not us now it's the same god the same god that loved them the same god that worked wonders and miracles for them the same god that delivered them yeah he's he's our god too but it was written to the nation of israel in ephesians 3:1 for this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, for ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me, me to you, word. Dispensation. Okay, Paul is saying that God is doing a new thing. He is under, we are under a new dispensing. Okay, that's where we get the word dispensational. We are dispensationalist. God never changes, but the way he deals with man has changed. The way God deals with the nation of Israel is different than the way God deals with the body of Christ. And finally, there's the Tribulation Church, which is made up of those who sealed their fates in their own blood by not accepting the mark of the beast, which is made up of the congregations mentioned in Revelations 2 and 3. It is those who overcome and sit on his throne. We don't have to overcome, okay? We don't have to overcome, okay? We are already sitting in heavenly places with Christ. In Ephesians 2, 6, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are in Christ. We don't have to overcome. He's already overcome. And those who eat of the tree of life, This is a reward for those who make it through the tribulation. Okay, Blessed are they that do his commandments under the law, that they may have right to eat of the tree of the life and enter in through the gates into the city. See, we're not under the commandments anymore. We're not under the law. We're not overcoming to get something. That is Jewish. To interpret the churches in any other way, I'm afraid, as I did for years, is allegorizing the text, which is exactly what dispensationalists do not do. We don't allegorize the text. We don't spiritualize the text. Or at least we're not supposed to. But let me tell you something. When we start saying the church is born in Acts chapter number two, you've spiritualized the text. Because unlike me yesterday, the church didn't have a birthday in Acts chapter number two, and nothing there says that it did. Same thing in the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3. I believe, now some mid-Acts dispensationalists will say it's referring to future congregations. I don't see that in the New Testament at all. I don't see that in the Hebrew epistles, that they're written to some future group. I believe they were writing to seven literal churches um, that they felt were going to go into the tribulation period. Um so again, I mean, we, we can't allegorize the text. Uh, and we do that all the time. Uh, and I've stopped. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached again. It's not being preached now. At least it should not be being preached now. Uh, now it's being mixed, if you will, convoluted, if you will, into the gospel of grace. But it shouldn't be. They are distinct. They are unique. They are both truth. But they are truth in different ways. The gospel of the kingdom is truth to the Jew. The gospel of grace is, is truth to the body of Christ, which is made up of Jew and Gentile today. But one day after we are removed, <clears throat> the gospel of, gra- of the kingdom will be preached again. In Matthew 24, but he that shall endure to the end shall be saved. I can't tell you how many times I've sat and listened to that verse preached out of context saying that we gotta, we got to endure to the end if we're going to be saved. He's talking to Jews here in Matthew. Let me just give you a rule of thumb. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Hebrews through Revelation is not to you. It's to them, <laughs> the, the nation of Israel. And we need to remember that as we read it. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then the end will come. That is referring to the tribulation period, which is for the Jew. Will Gentiles be involved? Of course they'll be involved. But we'll no longer be under the gospel of grace anymore. We will go back under the gospel of the kingdom again. That's why the temple will be rebuilt. That's why sacrifices will restart. Why? Because... It's for the Jew. It's Daniel's 70th week coming to pass. And I mentioned this, and here's a new little graphic that I found here. I mean, this is what should have happened. I mean, the Old Testament, the kingdom was prophesied. The kingdom was declared at hand by Jesus um, and his apostles, the 12. The kingdom was legitimately offered in Acts. And had the kingdom been accepted, we would have gone in the the nation of Israel would have went into seven years of tribulation. The Lord would have returned and established his kingdom. The Hebrew epistles are dealing with this. Okay? But that isn't what happened. The kingdom was offered, it was rejected, and the body the kingdom has been postponed now, and now we are in the age of grace. Okay. Uh, we looked at another chart. <clears throat> that talked about this. This is what should have happened, you know. The Old Testament it looked toward, forward to the cross, and Christ ascended, and then Acts chapter two, verse number four, Peter preaches, Stephen preaches. The message is, is should have been accepted, and had it been accepted, they would have went into the seven years of tribulation, the tribulation, the se- Daniel seventieth week the Lord would have returned and set up his kingdom. But that's not what happened. This is what happened. The fall of Israel happened because they rejected it. Now we, now Paul was raised up. And we are living in this gospel of grace. And one day we will be removed and taken out. That's when the times of the Gentiles end. And then the, the tribulation will begin. That's what could have, would have, should have happened but didn't. Now, notice in verse number 38, wherefore, if Demetrius and the craftsmen which are with him have a matter against any man, the law is open and there are deputies. Let them and plead one another. But if ye inquire of anything concerning other matters, it shall be determined an unlawful assembly. So the, the town clerk is setting them straight here saying, you know, if you've got a legal matter against these guys, let's talk about it. But if you don't, this is, an, this is not a lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being called into question for this day's uproar, there being no cause whereby we may give an account for this concourse. And when he had thus spoken, he dismissed the assembly. So, and again, that word assembly there, if, if you look at that word uh, again um, in, uh, what's that, 1919? <clears throat> no, uh, 1938. 1938 here. Uh, this lawful assembly there. You do the KJV Plus here. Notice what it is. It's the word Ekklesia again. Okay. This is not the body of Christ here. That could have been translated church as well. Again, we need to be careful with that word church. Okay. Uh, Father proof. Even the pagans. We're a church. <laughs> And now we get into chapter number 20. And after the uproar had ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them and departed for to go into Macedonia. And when he had gone over those parts and he had given them much exhortation, he came into Greece. So it's from Macedonia that Paul wrote his epistle to the Romans. It's also from Greece that he wrote 2 Corinthians. And then notice in verse three, and there there and there abode three months. And when the Jews laid wait for him, as he was about to sail to Syria, he pur- he purposed to return through Macedonia. And again, he's still trying to shake these Jews, and there accompanied him into Asia, Sopatura Berea and of the Thessalonians, and again, these are men that he picked up in his missionary journeys, Aristarchus and Segundus, and Gaius of Derbe and Timotheus, and of Asia, Tychicus and Trophimus, those going before tarried for us at Troas. So they went on before, and they waited for him at Troas, and we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and came unto them to Troas in five days, and then we stayed Another seven days. So again, unbelieving Jews were still st- stirring up trouble against him. And notice that Luke mentions the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This, The Feast of Unleavened Bread lasted seven days and commemorated Israel's flight uh, from Egypt. And you'll remember, <clears throat> we saw all about this in in the book of Exodus. And ye shall observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread for this time, the selfsame day that I brought your armies up out of the land of of Egypt, therefore shall you observe this day in your generations by an ordinance forever. In seven days there shall be no leaven found in your houses, uh, um, for whosoever eateth that which is leavened, even that soul shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he be a stranger or born in the land, you will eat nothing, unleavened. You will need eat nothing leavened. So it's the feast of unleavened bread that commemorated their hasty departure from Egypt. Um, and we we briefly talked about this. There was, there were seven feasts. Um, there were the spring feast and there were the fall feast. And I pulled up this graphic uh, for you guys. Uh, the spring feast uh, consisted of Passover and 11 bread, first fruits, and Pentecost. Um, um, all fulfilled in Christ. The, Christ fulfills these. You the church is not. In here, okay, um, and we try to stick it in there, uh, but it's not. Remember, the church was a mystery that was previously hidden, unknown until it was revealed to to Paul. Um, so Christ fulfilled all these feasts. Um, he fulfilled Passover at the crucifixion, unleavened bread at the burial, first fruits at his resurrection, and Pentecost fifty days later when he sent the Holy Spirit. Okay. And then the fall feast. These are the fall feasts. uh, The Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay. Uh, These will be fulfilled at his second coming. Uh, The Feast of Trumpets, which speak of what was the trumpet for in the nation of Israel? The trumpet was to call the assembly together, uh, usually for war. Now will it also be time with the trumpet that is spoken of that raptures out the church? I don't know. I probably knew that answer a while back, but now I'm not so sure um, so but either way, I mean it will be fulfilled uh, as the nation of Israel is regathered and Daniel's 70th week uh, begins and then we go into the time of atonement the whole, A tribulation period is a time of judgment that's going to take place. And then we move into the Feast of Tabernacles, which is fulfilled in the millennial reign of Christ upon the earth. And again, people will say the church age right here happens between these two. Well, I mean, it does in the sense that these all happen at his first coming. We're in the middle, and we're going to be taken out before these three can take place. Um... Where we get into trouble today in the church is that we try to tie these feasts to us. We start making these feasts all about the body of Christ. When in reality, they are all part of the prophetic program for Israel. And we need to remember that. We cannot... That's called replacement theology, people. That's covenant theology. When you start saying that we are Israel... Well, we don't say that. Yeah, but you turn around and say, "Well, we get the blessings of Israel. We get to the you know, the promises for Israel." You know, I mean, no, you're you're teaching replacement theology. And I believe even saying that the church was born in Acts chapter number 2 is replacement theology. Um again, I mean we need to separate the church from Israel. That's the big difference that separates a covenant uh, covenant theology from dispensational theology. But dispensational theology still gets in trouble because it it embraces certain aspects of covenant theology, i.e. church born in Acts chapter number 2. No one today is required to keep these feasts because we have the Lord himself and not just the shadow of him in the feasts. However, I mean, there's nothing wrong with studying them. There's nothing wrong with, where, where does the church fit into this? Well, the church doesn't directly fit into it. But you can see how it affects the church. For example, this middle piece here where you and I are right now. You can see that. You know, and and we, we're we not going to be here for this. But it's nice to know that there's going to come a time when we're gone and God's going to be dealing with the nation of Israel here. Um. They should be studied with great interest in that they are Israel's prophetic program, past and future. Notice I left the word present out. Because the present is the falling, is the diminishing for Israel. Notice also Paul's traveling companions. The ones we are most familiar with is Tychicus. And um, and uh, we see him here uh, in Ephesians uh, 6. Tychicus, a beloved brother. In Colossians 4, Tychicus declaring unto you, who is a beloved brother, 2 Timothy 4.12, and Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. Okay, And then, of course, Trophimus. We're familiar with Trophimus. Uh, Trophimus um, was an Ephesian, um, and we find that Trophimus was left in Miletum sick. Uh, Paul could not heal him. And, um, and, of course, Paul went ahead to meet up with them in Troas. Okay, um, and then notice verse 7. And upon the first day of the week, and upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. Um, bear in mind that we are in the mindset of the Feast of Passover. Um, you remember from our little chart there, um unleavened bread was just mentioned, okay? And then the very next day, first fruits happens. So we're in that period between first fruits and Pentecost right now, okay? In our, in our study, or in the, the context here. Um, so the phrase, upon the first day of the week, I don't believe is necessarily referring to Sunday, as much as is referring to the first of the seven Sabbaths that have to take place before Pentecost happens. Um, And you'll remember in Leviticus 23, it talks about that. And ye shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath. Well, the morrow after the Sabbath would be what? Sunday. So this is the first day of the week. This is that first Sabbath from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering until seven Sabbath shall be complete. Okay, so they're starting to count the Sabbaths until Passover. So Paul, the night before, he was to head out to Jerusalem. He got excited and he started preaching until midnight. And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. And there sat in a window a certain young man by the name of Eutychus, being fallen into a deep sleep. (laughs) You ever stood in the pulpit and watched somebody sleep? Um, You ever stood in a classroom and watched somebody sleep? It's hilarious. Uh, uh, And being fallen into a deep sleep. I mean, he was in REM, rapid eye movement phase, no doubt. Um, And Paul was long preaching. So I guess he had moved past R.E.M. phase. He was in deep sleep at this point. He was in dreamland. And he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. Well, like we said, old brother Eutychus was sleeping in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, Now, there's been dispute about the event in that some say that the text did not specifically say that he was dead. They just supposed that he was dead based upon, um, you know, maybe what Paul said in the next verse. And Paul went down and fell on him and embraced him and said, trouble not yourselves for life is in him. So whether or not Paul actually resurrected this man from the dead or whether or not Paul just brought him out of the stupor, we don't know. But I don't think it, it's downplaying um the text i mean nobody's trying to dismiss the uh the miraculous here paul definitely had the the gift of healing at this point i believe paul lost that ability when he arrived in rome and began to write the prison epistles because he wasn't able to heal uh trophimus either way albert barnes says the late hour of the night and the length of the services were the excuse <laughs> But, though the thing is often done now, yet how seldom is a sleeper in a church furnished with an excuse for it. Um, get up, walk around, stand up, go to the back. Uh, no practice is more shameful or disrespectful and abominable that than that so common of sleeping in the house of God. <clears throat> yeah, I mean... I think it's just disrespectful. As a speaker, if I'm in a classroom or I'm in a lecture hall or I'm in the pulpit and you're nodding off, um, get up and walk around. It is disrespectful, not only to you, to, to the speaker, but to the people who are around you. And when he therefore was come up again, and again, see there, when he was therefore come up again, I mean, it doesn't necessarily say he rose from the dead, uh, well, this is referring to Paul, though, not, not, uh, not Eutychus. And when he therefore was come up again, because you remember here, and Paul went down and fell on him. And then it says, and therefore, when he was come up again and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till the break of day, he departed. So that's not referring to Eutychus, that's referring to Paul. And they brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted. Um, So when the young man's revived, Paul eats and talks until the break of day, and everyone is not a little comforted, which means they were of great comfort. And he went before to ship and sailed unto Asos. They're intending to take in Paul. Now, bear in mind, Luke is writing this, and we went before to ship. Okay, he's writing this and sailed unto Asos, there intending to take in Paul. For so he had appointed, minding himself to go afoot. And when he met with us at Asos, we took him in, and came to Mytilene. And we sailed thence, and came the next day over against Chios. And the next day we arrived at Samos, and tarried in Trogilium, And the next day we came to Miletus. For Paul determined to sail by Ephesus, because he would not spend the time in Asia, For he hasted, if possible, to be at Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost. Okay, again, um, we are here in the middle. He is trying to get to Jerusalem for Pentecost. Um, And then notice, and from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. So once he arrived in Miletus, he called the elders of the church in Ephesus And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came unto Asia, after what manner I have been with you in all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mine and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying weight of the Jews and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you. And I have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house." So Paul calls for the elders in Ephesus to express how he had served them with tears and temptations and even the Jews that had spoke against him. Um, I I, I think that that probably hurt Paul more than anything. I know as a a minister for years, um, nothing hurts more than a sheep bite. Uh, Wolf bites are expected. You know, they're... It's part of the territory. You know that uh, wolves have big teeth, and they use them big teeth to tear people apart. They're they're carnivorous, and when they bite you, you got too close. Um, But when a sheep bites you, to me, that is the most grievous of, uh, of bites, that's the one you didn't expect. That's the one that um, you didn't see coming. Uh, and I can tell you as a minister, and I'm sure many of you can identify with this, there's nothing worse than getting bit by one of your own, one that you just didn't expect. You know, sheep don't even have teeth, per se. They have these little things in their mouths where they grab the grass and they, they pull the grass up. But when a, when a sheep bites you, in a spiritual sense, I mean, it's just not expected. It's 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 a shock. It's a surprise that it happens, um, and I think for sure that hurt Paul far worse, um, because he doesn't even really condemn. Uh, he only point. He doesn't point to Demetrius and the silversmiths and you know all those other people. He points to the Jews, his own, who tried to uh, destroy him. Uh, testifying both to the Jews in verse 21 and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, some will point to this verse to say that Paul ministered to both groups, Jews and Greeks. And again, he did. There were Jews and Greeks uh, in Ephesus, and he ministered to both of them. Um, Also, the phrase, notice it says, I ministered to both the Jews and to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I believe he's saying there, I taught repentance toward God to the Jews and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ to the Greeks. Um, Either way, whatever he's saying there, he's saying that many responded positively to what I preached and the church was started. And we've went over this before. I believe I believe pretty strongly that Paul preached both Gospels uh, until he reached Rome and the, he began to pen the prison epistles. He preached both uh, because I believe he, just like the Twelve, uh, believed that the kingdom was still on the table. I believe that Paul came to revelations, that Paul was still understanding bit by bit, uh, I believe that when he came to a new revelation he penned an epistle. <laughs> uh, I don't think Paul saw the postponement up front um of course, in acts nine I mean Paul was saved by the kingdom he was into this the redeemed into the kingdom gospel um <clears throat> i mean he didn't even see the church, let alone the the postponement the postponement the body of Christ but it was later uh when he was the first one to be saved by grace that he saw the body of Christ. And I don't think he saw the postponement. I don't think he saw that, um, you know, obviously I think in his mind, he said, well, the 12 aren't going to the Gentiles. So God's going to use me to do that. Um, I don't think he saw the postponement. Uh, and I think therefore he, he still continued to preach the, the kingdom gospel, the kingdom of God. Um, but later on, uh, he understood the postponement. In Romans, he says "You know that Israel has been set aside. Um, and then he saw the rapture when God would begin once again to deal with the nation of Israel. Again, Paul came to Revelations. He didn't understand it all up front. Um, and now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit into Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. So, Paul is determined to get into Jerusalem, uh, and says he's bound in the Spirit. And I believe this Spirit is the Holy Spirit, um, um, not knowing what's going to happen to me there, save that the Holy Ghost witness in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. So, Paul tells them he's going to Jerusalem bound in the Spirit. Um, and again, that word "bound" in the spirit there—that word "spirit" is the word "numa," um, which is, you know, the Holy Spirit. I believe um, Albert Barnes says of this verse: Paul is being strongly urged or constrained by the influence of the Holy Spirit, not by any desire to see the Jerusalem, and not urged merely by reason, but by the convictions and the mighty promptings of the Holy Spirit. And some, tri- some uh, translations do uh, translate that, verse, that word spirit. Uh, see, the New American Standard does not. The New King James does not. The NIV does. Uh, compelled by the Spirit. Uh, so Paul is pulled by the Spirit to Jerusalem. And notice the words abide me, the things that abide me. Uh, That literally means the things that await me, the things that are facing me. In other words, I'm going to face the music. I'm going to Jerusalem, even knowing that something awaits me there. And, of course, we we know what awaited Paul there. Um, He was going to be arrested and on his way to Rome. But none of these things moved me. Neither count I my, my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course and with joy in the ministry which I received of the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. Paul says nothing that awaits him will stop him because he does not count his life as dear to himself. Um, I know what I'm doing. God's the Holy Spirit's drawing me there. I've heard commentators say uh, that Paul was wrong to go to Jerusalem. Uh, and they'll make a big deal out of that word spirit that we just looked at and say that wasn't the Holy Spirit that was drawing him. Because the Holy Spirit was telling him not to go and that Paul got himself arrested. It's it's amazing how we are so arrogant that we can read back in and correct the apostles. We can correct Peter. You know, Peter shouldn't have read that whole text of out of Joel 2. Um, Peter shouldn't have rushed ahead of God and picked Matthias when God had already chosen the Apostle Paul. You know, isn't it amazing how we can look back because of the filter that we've been given and start correcting the ones that were walking it? Um, again, that's the utmost in arrogance to me. Um, so, uh, the same thing can be said f- for us when we're walking in obedience. Uh, It's like my grandmother used to tell me, you're immortal until God is through with you. Uh, When you're doing what God told you to do, there's no better place to be uh, than that. Uh, Again, my grandmother would say, I'd rather you halfway around the world in the will of God than down the street out of the will of God. There's no more dangerous place to be than out of the will of God for a child of God. And there's no better place to be, no safer, more secure place to be than in the will of God, no matter where that is. Now, Paul, he was doing, and what he was doing and preaching was received of the Lord Jesus, and that was to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And again, I believe Paul is stating that he preached. What he did preach did not come from the other apostles, but from Jesus himself, the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. So now Paul pivots back to the fact that he had preached the gospel of the kingdom to the Ephesians. Now, the only assumption that I can come to is like we've said. uh, Paul preached both. Uh, Paul was given the gospel of grace. He mentions that here in verse number 24. But he preached the kingdom of God to the Jews in Ephesus, because the kingdom was still on the table. Um, Of course, today, these two Gospels are mixed, because, quote, evangelicals, I don't even like to identify myself as an evangelical anymore. Uh, I think evangelicals are clueless when it comes to rightly dividing the word of truth. Um... They have attempted to mix covenant and dispensational theology in an act of compromise just to get along instead of rightly dividing the truth as they were told to. Um, When you start rightly dividing the word of truth, you're going to upset the apple cart. Trust me, I've done it, I've seen it. Um, When you start telling people, you know, there's a difference uh, between the two. So, I believe the whole evangelical, modern evangelical movement is nothing more than a sellout and a compromise between covenant and dispensational theology. You know, I pointed out last week that's why you've got within the Southern Baptist Convention, you've got seminaries that are clearly covenant, and you've got seminaries that are clearly dispensational. Um, Why? I mean, obviously, they're divided. Uh, that's why um, there's so much confusion. That's why the preacher will say, repent and be baptized, because you're saved by faith. No, you're, that's a complete contradiction. You're blending the kingdom and the grace gospels into one. Um, Notice, and you shall see my face no more. Interesting that Paul knew that he would not see these people again in this life he also knew that he had honestly given them the entire counsel of God. He gave everything he had. He laid it on the altar there in Ephesus. Um, Wherefore, therefore, I take you to record this day, I am pure from the blood of all men. Now some commentators say this blood that Paul is speaking of here is a reference to the second death. Um, However, I don't believe... That's what Paul is talking about here. Uh, I believe he's referring to them physically. They are rejecting the king and the kingdom offer. And they're going to pay for it. Um, in 70 AD, when the Romans came in, destroyed Jerusalem, they paid for it. Um, they're rejecting the kingdom offer. In Acts 18.6, And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said in them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I'm clean. I'm going to the Gentiles. Um, so again, I think he's he's talking about physical blood here. I, you know, it, They're going to have to take responsibility for rejecting the message that he gave to them. I don't think this is a reference to the second death. Ezekiel said something similar. I remember when I was in Bible college, we had to memorize Ezekiel 33. And of course, it was placing us as the watchman on the wall, and it was our responsibility to share the gospel. Um, Ezekiel saying again, the word of the Lord came unto me saying, son of man, speak to the children of thy people and and say unto them, when I bring a sword upon the land and the people of the land, take a man of their coast and set him for their watchman. And when he seeth the sword come upon the land and he blows the trumpet and he warns the people. And that's what Paul is saying here. I've blown the trumpet. I've warned you that whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet and taketh not warning. These Jews that were rejecting the message that Paul was preaching, if the sword come and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. So um, I believe this is physical blood. He is warning them. I cannot be blamed for what is going to happen to you because of your lack of heeding the message. For I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. This verse would seem to indicate that Paul shared with them everything that he knew, both national and personal salvation. Understand, kingdom is a national salvation, grace is a personal salvation. The kingdom gospel was for national repentance. Today, we don't preach a national salvation. Um, you know, we pull all kinds of verses out of the Old Testament. If my people are called by name, my name, and they will repent. And that's great, but that was not written to the United States of America. But in principle, yeah, I mean, if we turn to God, he, he promises that he'll take care of us. He doesn't promise he'll deliver us. Uh, we can't just quote those incantations thinking that God will do for us what he did for them. Um, so it's obvious to me that he preached the whole counsel of God. He preached everything he knew. Um, and in verse number 26, he um, Notice what he says, wherefore I take you to record this day that I'm pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. And again, we need to, uh, it will become very important when we read the book of Ephesians, because when he writes the book of Ephesians, he is obviously writing back to the people in Ephesus who were both Jew and Gentile, who both responded to a kingdom and a grace gospel. And again, personal pronouns are, be- are going to become very important. That's why we have to rightly divide. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Now notice the reference to the flock this is a distinctive Jewish analogy here. Uh, he is referring to the Jewish leaders in this verse. And remember that the little flock is the one that's going to receive the kingdom, not the body of Christ. In Luke twelve thirty two, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. <clears throat> the kingdom is all about the king. Uh, all about Jesus and the kingdom that he is going to give to the nation of Israel. And again, the shepherd and flock analogies refer to the Jews. I found this interesting. The word shepherd does not appear in the Pauline epistles. If you pull up your little search engine and you type the word shepherd, uh, it does not occur in Romans through Philemon. Paul does not use it. When referring to the body of Christ, why? Because he is our head. We are the body. Now, to the nation of Israel, he is the shepherd and they are the flock. Also, the word flock, if you do a search in the Pauline epistles, only comes up one time and it has nothing to do with the flock in the sense of the nation. Where who goeth to warfare at any time of his own charge? Who planteth the vineyard needeth not the fruit thereof, and who feedeth a flock, and eateth not of the milk of the flock. So it has nothing to do with a people group. Um, so again, I, I he's talking to, to the Jewish leaders here. Therefore, the church of God spoken of here would be the remnant of Israel. And notice it says, uh, "the feed the church of God." These elders. Who are over the flock, over which God has made you overseers? You need to feed the church of God, which He purchased with His own blood. Now I'm going to get into some <clears throat> some rocky roads uh, where I'm I am in my study, uh, and I just challenge you to do it too. I'm not being dogmatic about this. I'm just going down the road here with you. Um, I have I have begun to be very careful in my language uh with my words when referring to scripture. Um and this is one reason why. You know, I don't I don't use the word bride of Christ anymore to refer to the church because the church is not the bride of Christ. Um, I gotta remember when I talk about Pentecost, I'm not talking about the birth of the church. I'm talking about uh the feast. Of Pentecost, the outpouring of the Spirit, the fulfillment of Joel 2, and the offer of the, the, king, the king and the kingdom to the nation of Israel. Uh, I also see that when I look at this word, purchased in his own blood. He's obviously talking to Jews. Take heed therefore to yourselves and all the flock, over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers, to feed the church of God which you purchased with his own blood. The word purchase means to redeem or to ransom. Salvation, on the other hand, is a gift that was given as a result of what Christ did on the cross. There's a difference. There's a subtle difference. Redemption is a purchase. Salvation is a gift. There's a difference between a purchase and a gift. And again, I'm not going to start a church on this, but I would probably not name my church uh, Redeemed Baptist church at this point. (laughs) I am beginning to believe that redemption is always in reference to the nation of Israel. Salvation refers to the body of Christ. As a matter of fact, Paul only uses the word redeemed one time in his epistles. He only uses it one time. And it's in Galatians 3.13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. This is a reference to the Jews. Christ has redeemed the Jews from the curse of the law. We know this for a few reasons. He uses the word us instead of you. Um, Notice in 3.13, he has redeemed us from, remember I'm talking about these personal pronouns. Paul is identifying with the Jewish people. He uses the word us instead of you. In the book, just like in Ephesians, he uses we and us to refer to Israel and you and ye to refer to the Gentiles. Number two, we have never been directly under the curse of the law because it was given to Israel. The law was not given to the Gentiles. The Gentiles were without hope in the world because we were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Later on, he says, we were a law unto ourselves. In Ephesians 2.12, and that at that time ye were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth. Notice the word ye. Okay, remember back here, you and ye are referring to the Gentiles. In Ephesians 2.12, For at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and you were strangers from the covenants of promise. We're not under the covenants. We're not in the new covenant. The new covenant has nothing to do with us. We we had no hope, and we were without God in the world. So the the context dictates, at least to me, that Christ redeemed the Jews from the curse of the law by taking the curse upon himself. Matter of fact, in the next verse in Galatians 3.14, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So, therefore, I don't think that we, the body of Christ, should be quoting this verse as a reference to us. Okay? Um, and that's really as far as we got last week. Um I know I've been going for quite some time. Um, and so Tuesday morning, 6.30, we'll pick up in uh, verse number 29. For I know this, that after my departing, grievous wolves shall enter among you and not spare, and, and not sparing the flock. So we'll talk about that the next time we get together. It's good to see you guys. Um, <clears throat> Scott, God bless you, brother. I am a Paulician. I like that. That's a good study, the Paulicians. Um, uh, Paul is our apostle. Now, when you stand up in a church and you say that, people look at you kind of, like, kind of like you're crazy. But then, you know, I've found if you stand up in a church and say Jesus is God, people look at you crazy. Why? Because it's just not taught. It's It's not clearly taught in our churches today. We are, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And Paul is a member, you know. I mean, Paul is the one that preached the gospel of grace. Jesus never taught the gospel of grace. It's like those people that say I'm a red-letter Christian. Oh, really? Uh how can you be a red-letter Christian when everything in the red letters was addressed to the nation of Israel and was not addressed to the body of Christ? You <laughs> or me. So to say I'm a red-letter Christian, um, yeah, that's, that's stupid. I mean, that's, we don't need to be saying that. Uh, we need to be listening to what Paul wrote. And the only thing that Paul wrote directly to us is Romans through Philemon. That's the Pauline epistles. So we follow Paul in regards to those things. So, All right, man. Well, God bless you guys. I hope you have a great week. Uh, I'm going to go out today. My boy sent me a little money and going to take my wife to dinner. She's going to take me to dinner and celebrate my birthday. But I love you guys. And it is a privilege for me to gather with you. This keeps my toes to the fire to study the word of God just like you do. And I, I just encourage you, question the assumptions, question what you've been taught. Now, I'm not talking deconstructionism. Deconstructionism is a totally different ballgame that is absolutely destroying young people in our country right now. We are deconstructing everything. We are deconstructing our founding fathers, their motives, our constitution, our independence. We're deconstructing everything, and it has come into the church. One of the biggest conversations that I have with the students at Liberty University here in Lynchburg, Virginia, is the dangers of deconstructionism, which is, I'm not going to believe it just because that's what my parents said. I'm going to go in and I'm going to deconstruct my faith and come up with my own. Let me tell you something. The vast majority of people that walk down that road never come back. Never come back. For you are making, you are becoming a god unto yourself Okay? You're, you're becoming a god into yourself. Um, I'm not talking about deconstructionism. I'm talking about just questioning the assumptions. Question the things that you've just always assumed. Be able to give chapter and verse for why you believe what you believe. I promise you, you'll sleep better at night. <laughs> maybe. Uh, maybe not. Because it's going to make you start asking questions. Well, if... Uh, If I'm not part of the bride, then what about all that teaching from the Song of Solomon? You know, well, he wasn't talking to you. (laughs) It'll also make you go back and be tempted to take down a lot of old teachings. I uh, was contacted several weeks ago from a brother in Texas that wanted all my teachings on Daniel and Revelation. And I'm like, "Uh, I don't know if I'd recommend all that to (laughs) to you right now, so... I gave it to him with a caveat, you know. But uh, anyway, God bless you guys. Hope you have a great weekend. Remember, God loves you, wants the best for you. Is working all things out for our good.